0: Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to this week's episode of the Prestige, a podcast about films made by film lovers for film lovers. Um, We take a different film each week and we give it something of a review and then we talk about some of the themes and ideas that it throws up. We're into our fourth season now and after having a look at directors and film franchises, we're going genre by genre. And after a sub-season on martial arts films, we're starting with vampire films this week. And we have a special guest with us who is going to give her opinion on this particular facet of cinema. We're going to start with German Expressionism this week. And that guest is Jennifer Wright. I don't know, do you prefer Jen or Jennifer? Oh,
1: go, Go Jennifer, Jennifer's good.
0: Go kind of Jennifer, <laughs> yeah. right, that's more official. Either of the two. Very yeah, formal, fine. very formal. Um Jennifer Wright, who works with me in Leeds. Before <laughs> before we start, we generally begin each episode with what we've been watching, enjoying, listening to, reading, anything that has Caught our attention in culture In the past couple of weeks Since we recorded last So I think we should go with our guest To start with Uh, Jen what have you been consuming
1: Okay Two things Uh, The first is Chernobyl The miniseries that's been on uh, HBO Um, I think it's HBO Yeah absolutely fantastic Uh, And linked to that Is Summer of Rockets Linked to it in the sense of the nuclear theme so those two and that's a bbc drama so but chernobyl i think it's rated the sort of the highest rated drama on imbd ever or something um and that's just absolutely extraordinary um and summer of rockets as well the polyakov um series both of those two really stand out as being exceptional for me
2: i must say i've not heard of uh, Summer of rockets but i'll have to check it out some point
1: really sort of tightly plotted and um, kind of keeps you a lot of suspense all the way through just, yeah, fantastic
0: So what can you say? I know nothing about Chernobyl apart from several people have told me I need to watch it what can you tell us about Chernobyl?
1: Um, it, it's obviously the the, the, the the thing that is fascinating about it is the fact that it's got this the, the way that it deals with how the communists regime tried to sort of um, repress what was happening at the time. And so it uses in some times it uses some archive footage of what they told the people that it was all under control. Mm. Um, And a lot of the time it's actually quite um, that there's long moments of just like dialogue and just, it's not necessarily um, over the top or anything. It's, It's, uh, it's just extraordinary. <laughs> it, it, it really just brings it home, like the, the sort of magnitude of, of the disaster and everything. Um, mm-hmm. So I just really, really, really recommend it. The guy that the screenwriter um, who's done it is on Twitter, and he's. I think I think he based a lot of it on this uh, Voices from Chernobyl, um, which was like a, a sort of first-hand account of somebody who lived there. Um, it's just. It's like it gets the emotion of it, but it also gets the science of it as well. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's just it's just fantastic.
2: <laughs> I, I have uh, from the very subtle and very uh, heartfelt to the more bombastic. Uh, my, my recommendation this week, my uh, thing is I've went to see Godzilla King of the monsters last night. <laughs> um, <Cool. laughs> now my, my handle online for years has been Rob Kaiju. I am a huge Kaiju movie fan. Um, everything from the early, you know, the Godzillas and the uh, um, King Kong, all the way through Pacific Rim and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, like, it, it, it's right in my wheelhouse. I'm going to be sort of very forgiving of the movie. I'm going to be very open to the movie at what it is. But hands down, I absolutely loved it. I think it is it's stunningly beautiful um, in the way it handles some of the uh, giant monsters, or titans, as they call it. Um, it's so beautiful. I mean, it, the the human characters are probably little lightly written a little bit uh, mm. sort of cliche written at times but if you're seeing Godzilla King of the monsters you're going to see it to see the king of the monsters you're going to go and see the mm. the boss battles as they were and those are outstanding the effects in it are amazing and it's one of those ones where I would if you get a chance to see it in the cinema in, in on the big yeah. screen it's worth seeing that I mean it, I enjoy movies whatever format but the visuals, yeah. movies movies like Mad Max movies like the first Godzilla that kind of thing, where you want you want that big screen, you want the real estate of the cinema to see um, the effects. It was it was great. Obviously, as a dad of a, of a toddler, getting out to cinema itself is a great treat, so it was a, yeah, it yeah, was doubly yeah. lovely for me. Um, so yeah, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, is my, my one this week, and so it's it's a hearty recommendation from me. Sam, bring us something probably a book that's quite nerdy.
0: Uh, no sadly not not that nerdy um also not a book it's i mean i tend to well we jen and i have a colleague and i've spoken to him about this in great depth because we yes we Stephen and i share this love of not particularly highbrow action films um and it's the latest one from jc chandor starring, well it has a brilliant cast, this is one of the reasons that I decided to watch it, because it's got, it's an ensemble cast, it got Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hannum in it, and it, it's sort of, if you've watched Narcos, then it's kind of the, the slick Hollywood version of that, um, it's called Triple Frontier. And it was released on Netflix, and this is the only reason why I've seen it, because as another dad Mm -hmm. of toddler, I haven't been to the the cinema in about three (laughs) years. But if something's on Netflix, then I can watch it. Have kids, Uh, they're brilliant. So that's why I saw it.
2: (laughs) So as as Sam says, we are starting up our second mini-season of Season 4, so Season 4B, we are going to be looking at the vampire genre, from its, whilst well, not its earliest incarnation, there's certainly the one that uh, rose raised it, raised it to prominence and one of its earliest, most influential movies. We're going to be looking at the 1922 movie Nosferatu. Nosferatu is a a reskin of the classic Dracula story. Um, it's the tale of a young and uh, impressionable real estate agent who goes to sell some house, some land to Count Orlok um, and there discovers the um, more supernatural and nefarious plans of the Count. Um, it is, as I'm sure you'll get heavily into in this episode, it is a key text in German German expressionism and Mm. it's almost iconic in the way it brings together some of the uh, the, not tropes but the stylistic choices of that genre and also the story choices
0: now I should say at this point that one of the reasons we brought Jen in Mm. as a Visiting speaker this week Is because she has taught Film, she has taught German expressionism Before (laughs) and she has a lot Of experience in the genre And knowledge of the genre So Rob and I I had to try
1: And sell sell this Genre to 17 and 18 Year olds um, Which was really tough
2: (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I remember my days of doing films at least and trying to be taught uh, Russian montage as a young kid and being like oh this is weird. It,
1: it, it was a really hard sell for because we had 22 people and um, studying a level of film and only about two of them actually watched films so you can imagine that they don't they don't really watch films anyway so you, you know and it's like right a you don't watch films <laughs> and B, if you did you wouldn't go for this genre so it was I had to make it as as sort of accessible as I could, which was not easy because it is because it's like if you go, it's kind of quite esoteric, really. I suppose if you're going to look at genres of film, it's pretty obscure. Mm. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was my task: <laughs> try and make it palatable teenagers.
0: <laughs> <coughs> so, can can you sell this film to us in sort of two minutes? Uh, What's so great about this film? I mean, we're, we're not born 17-year-olds. The first
1: thing to say is that in terms of... So when we talk about ger- German expressionism as a genre, I think for me the Cabinet of Caligari, Dr. Caligari, is actually more mm-hmm. the, the 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 sort of more typical in terms like, visually. That, that's the one where you... Because it's so um, extreme in terms of the visuals with that. It's really uh, distorted. This one is a slightly more diluted version of that like it's still got elements of the genre but it's it's got a much more conventional narrative and because it's based on dracula you can sell it Mm. more because people can sort of buy into it because they already know i mean the only reason like the only reason that it doesn't use the same character names is i think they weren't allowed they were allowed to sort of base it on dracula but they weren't allowed to um you use the names so it's all lock instead of um dracula and they've changed the names of so harker is hutter and Mm. all that kind of thing um so for me i could in that way i could make it more palatable because i could say to them well okay watch dracula first and then come to this Mm. so they so 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 they could sort of buy into it that way um but obviously because it's a silent movie it's it, it can be harder to to sort of get them to be interested but um once they know the story i think the way i did it was i sort of looked at the visuals more and film had advanced a lot since Caligari once we got onto Nosferatu the film techniques had advanced so you had location shooting and editing and things whereas with Caligari it was a bit more primitive so so in that way you can sell it a bit but it's it wasn't it wasn't easy to make it appealing to be honest (laughs) I think it's amazing but like you know I'm looking at it from a different Mm. angle because I was trying to
2: Teenagers to enjoy it. I mean, what you're saying there about sort of selling it as a Dracula story makes me think to what we were saying a couple of weeks ago about martial arts movies. um That some of yeah. them, particularly, managed to sneak in some really kind of deep social commentary by kind of going, "Oh no, yeah. it's an action yeah. movie. It's, it's 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 people beating each up But while you're there, here's this." And well, I, actually,
1: yeah, that's a really good point because with this one, you can bring in the history because it was post World War One, so. Um, I had some students that were doing A-level history so I could sort of bring in things like well you know the the themes of loss and um, Germany having lost the war mm. and that all of that and you could you could bring in um, themes of I don't know that I could I could sort of bring in the context and once you brought in the context it sort of became a bit more relevant to them well, Um yeah I, I yeah. think
2: it's also you know it's post post World War One the one of the, the German, yeah. or they were in reparations and they didn't have a lot of money. Yes. And so one of the government edicts was that you can't import movies. You've got to make your own movies.
1: That's it. Exactly. So they had to really establish themselves. And I think at one point they were one of, they, they were inspiring. They, like the, this genre inspired Hitchcock mm. and it inspired, um, a lot of like modern. I mean, even now you can see directors that are inspired by this genre. Cause I think at that point, the German film industry was world leading. Mm. Um, so there there the, the, what the what you tend to do with people that are reluctant to engage with it is you tend to work backwards so you might you might tell them about Tim Burton and stuff like that or actually I mean something I'm going to mention later but like the babadook
2: Tim Burton
1: Yeah yeah
2: <laughs> I'm not a fan of Tim Burton <laughs> I am not
0: I'm Jen, you've you've just mentioned two things that Rob is not a fan <laughs> of, like Tim Burton and the Babadook. It's like you've 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 tried to find things no, that no, Rob would like. You wouldn't
1: know what? Like. I'm not a fan of Tim Burton either, but but I had to put my because I'm trying mm, to sell awesome. this film to teenagers. And so I had to say, Oh well, you know, look at Tim Burton and I had to sort of work backwards. And also I think it's um I'm trying to think who else was I'm sorry, I'm thinking too far ahead in the genre because I'm thinking of Ridley Scott being inspired by Metropolis. But you can you could sort of work work backwards and show them modern reincarnations of German Expressionism, and they could sort of buy into it more. But actually, like the Babadook, as you said, no, you said you're not a fan, but but visually, the the creature of the Babadook is mm. basically it's got the same kind of look as an Osferatu. so So that the look of that character is completely out um, of how we imagine. Uh, dracula and like monsters to look mm. the elongation and everything so that's how i did it I mean.
2: yeah i mean as as a, a recovering goth i can i i see in this so much of that culture you know the lot the, of the the, the, the the harsh shadows the the pale faces yeah. like a lot of that yeah. kind of even modern day goth culture comes from this this similar sort of place
1: yeah definitely i i really admire how they um the it's, I think it's Max Schreck, the actor. Obviously, there's, it's all just visual. Mm. There's obviously there's no dialogue, and you've just got the intertitles. But in terms of, I just love how he's dominated by the doorways, and uh, one of the themes of um, German expressionism is that the characters are dominated by their surroundings, and they even manage to get that with him. Like the doorway is taller than him every time he appears, and he sort of. Because they had such primitive film technology, but they still managed to create an element of supernatural in in the way that he appears. I I, I admire that.
0: Something I loved about the way it was framed is that in it never really used the whole yeah. frame, even though. It- I mean, you don't know what the limitations of shooting were, but sort of even within this fairly restricted yeah. frame, there was sort of the cut off of a tunnel yeah. or a doorway yeah. or an archway or a shadow or something. Th- and it felt felt because of that. It felt very claustrophobic.
1: With shots, you know, they have the iris sh- iris shot. I think it's called where, um, and that was a trait of silent movies where you have an iris in and an iris out at the beginning and the end of a scene. And so it sort of makes it look like it's been seen from an eye, but um, I like the fact that there was foreshadowing in the um, shapes. So, like for example, when um, when Hutter is in his bed before he meets Orlok, and the shape of the bed, the the kind of bedstead, it sh- is shaped in this like coffin shape over his head, and and that's the same shape you see when you meet Orlok, and it's there's a lot of foreshadowing in the way that the set is designed
2: the one that i, I noticed that i really loved was the when he first meets the count the count he's holding keys he's holding the keys to his um to the castle and it's yeah. a lovely like when <laughs> you see him later with the long claws on his hands and that, that kind of the, the visuals sort of echo of that moment early on and almost and going back through the movie i really loved that like he just stood there holding these keys you're like Are those keys? Are those fingers? And the other results will be keys. But later on, they bring it back as claws. It's lovely. I love that bit.
1: And also, do you know, do you remember there's like an extreme close-up of the polyp with the
2: tentacles? Mm. And I don't know
1: if you recognise this, but they have the same image on the, you know, when Nock is in the cell. So there's image on his wall of like this polyp. Mm. And there's this theme, the tentacles, there's this theme of, crossing borders, but being sort of propelled back. Mm. And I think that they reflect that in the, the, in those fingers. It's like these long fingers that can just kind of reach to, because there's a sort of theme of longing in there, which I think links to the context with the amount of death that would have been in, in the mind of the contemporary audience with, you know, with all the coffins and everything, because obviously they'd just gone through the war and everything and the returning soldiers and all of that. So I don't know. I just I think visually, like vis- the visual metaphors are actually quite um, they link together throughout the film.
0: Something I w- I was thinking about is that this is a very I mean it it says at the beginning it's set in 1938, but Paracelsianism that they talk about when they're talking about and um, the 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 medical guy um, who's associated with this actually died out in the late 17th century mm. so this is already completely archaic. Yeah. <laughs> so i wonder how how much of that is is sort of encoding this idea of longing because yeah. well like you say it's reaching back
2: well
1: it, it is it is archaic because it talks about the plague and stuff like that which is um so i think they just have to find metaphors because I think there's there's got to be some modern like the contemporary audience is going to be reading so much into the coffins and all of that because they and there's a scene when I think Ellen is on the beach and she's looking out to sea and there's um, all these graves that are like crosses mm. and that harks back to Caligari. There's the, that's such a, a a visual image in that film as well and it just kind of draws it all together if you look through the film you'll see that there's loads of times when the image of the cross appears mm. um on windows and things and it, it's i think it's it's like a deliberate they draw a cross on the on the door to indicate that that door is uh, somebody in that house has died so it's like that sort of theme of death is just and i think you've got to link that to the social context because but maybe they they couldn't maybe face that at the time so they decided to set it in the past mm-hmm. because that could they could sort mm-hmm. of displace the the current feelings because you can't evaluate how you feel at the time, can you? You you don't have the the retrospective sort of ability to look back. So you maybe they think, Oh well if we situate it in the past it it makes it easier for us it sort of removes
2: it a little bit but well, it's also like the, the way that even in this day and age the, the, the good movie makers use sci-fi science fiction and period films yeah. to say something about now i mean i think about black clansmen from last from last year like that's clearly set not in now but it's a be- it's yeah. really about now um and so much so much sci-fi is about is dealing with what's happening now but in a you know caging it in this wrapper of like oh it's not about now so we can talk about these things without getting hit up But at the same time, it is still about now,
1: and that's actually a a a theme across all of a lot of well, the German expressionist movies that I've seen. That that's because they do that as well in Caligari. Mm. They situate it in the past because I think they just couldn't deal with their current situation. They they had that humiliation. They 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 had the reparations and everything. And um, you can't analyze something when you're going through Mm. it. So I think. That they sort of thought, well, if we situate it in the past, it gives us a bit, of, a bit of safety, kind of.
0: Yeah. I I wondered because that scene where um Nog gets pursued by the townspeople oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. escapes with the scarecrow, and the the film the the camera lingers a bit too long on the fact that this scarecrow is torn to bits mm. by the townspeople, yeah. and I just wondered how much that was a symbol of something, and I wasn't sure what it was, and I'm thinking now this is what this might be a symbol, this might be so the the anger behind. I mean, Like you say, having, having to pay reparations yeah. and not knowing your place in the world and, and there, there's sort of a, a, an angry cry is this this violence, this ridiculous violence towards the Scarecrow.
2: I think it comes back to the way that we always deal with these things. I think it's something like even the Vietnam War on 9-11. Like films that were actually about 9-11 didn't appear for years afterwards. But films that were somehow about that and evoked the imagery of that and evoked ideas of that came about a lot sooner because you you deal with yes as, as, as Jennifer says they like you, you you can't you can only deal with these things in respect do,
1: do you know what was a kind of recurring theme for me was the I don't know if I'm if I'm right here but there seemed to be a real um, worry that about they wanted to close their borders and that it was this thing of contamination seemed to be a theme like blood diseases and things like that like they're wanting to keep out outsiders um so I, I wondered if, if um, that that sort of persecution because it depends how you think knock is being portrayed whether we're supposed to sympathize with him or whether he's um because actually there's a common thread across german expressionist films where you've got one lunatic so like in caligari it's caligari and in um in this movie it's um knock and then in um, metropolis metropolis rockwang and they're all quite similar they're just they're sort of steeped in the past mm. but they're and but they're kind of persecuted so i i wondered whether there was some kind of theme of outsiders and suspicion of outsiders and i don't know that was just something that occurred to me
2: i think I mean obviously looking at this post world mm. war there's going to be a feeling in germany particularly of like of this mixture of shame at who they yeah, are
1: exactly exactly what's
2: happened but also a Somehow, sort of this almost dislike of the rest yeah. of the world because the rest of the world was the one that killed them all, all their friends. Like they're all gonna have, have lost people to yeah. foreign enemies. So it's a really sort of weird, diversive moment in sort of the German psyche because they're gonna be dealing with both these things.
1: That that's another way I think you can sell sell it as a as a genre because it's actually like this melting pot of so many because you don't just look at the film in isolation you look at the social Mm. and historical and political context and everything else that was going on at the time and it's like the visual the visual style is sort of a manifestation of all of that like the distortion of it and the claustrophobia and the because they're in such a dark place and that's what i find so Mm. interesting about it because it's it's like a social product (laughs) you know um, of how they were feeling about themselves at the time, because, like you say, they couldn't. Um, they had to develop their own film industry, so it's quite insular, and it's, you mm. know, it's like them examining their own mm.
0: conscious. I, consciousness I wonder well. <laughs> the question of whether or not you can see vampires. Arises here because you've got, um, Orlok like on the on the boat, and you have shots where you can see him, and then shots where the sailors looking yeah, at something yeah. that isn't there. And I wonder whether that is that is tied up in this idea of, like mm. you said, Rob, sort of feeling like you belong to something, and and also you're angry at the rest of the world. This seems seems to be like this liminal state of a vampire, sort of. Has something to say about the liminal state of what it is to be German at this point in history.
2: I think that you do touch on something else there that we haven't touched much more. Is the the idea that, that that Nosferatu here established a a blueprint for vampires? Yeah. So he isn't he isn't the suppose the suave Dracula that we kind of know from pop culture. Yeah. He's very much a different sort of man, and even to, the, to this day, if anyone, either of you, have seen what we do in the Shadows, which is a vampire movie, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I was going to mention
2: that. Like, one of the vampires is basically Nosferatu. That is what he is. It's a type of vampire. You don't see it all the time, but it's one that's been there a lot. This idea of this yeah. almost in like inhumanly transformed um, vampire. I think you can see it in yeah. in yeah. the Uber Vamps of something like Buffy um or even even yeah. some more you know some of the blade film but the second blade film we start getting into these the vampire sort of hybrids like there's idea there is always an idea that you see again and again and again of vampirism not only is like a moral degradation which you see a lot of mm-hmm. because that kind of smartness but there's all this physical degradation that isn't as mm. common as a trope that you see, but you do see it, it comes from here, the idea that this man who, like when yeah. you see him at the start, he looks weird, but he it gets more and more grotesque, more and more distorted. And even that famous shot yeah. when he's walking up the stairs and the shadows are growing yeah. and stretching yeah. 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 and shrinking and turning. The, the idea of this vampirism is a physical, deforming mm. curse mm. comes from this kind of movie.
1: The genesis of so many more... Similar incarnations mm. of it, yeah. And I know what I know what you're saying.
2: I'm rewatching Buffy currently, so it's right in my head.
1: I've never seen Buffy. <laughs> I was an X Files. I was more an X Files.
2: Uh, I'm just a general <laughs> TV nerd. <laughs> so, apart from Buffy,
0: do do we have sort of suggestions for places that watching could take us, following on from Nosferatu? Jen, you, you, Well, I was gonna gonna offer Jen first.
1: Suggestions based on this one. Um, I mean the thing. The thing about that is, I know you said to sort of keep it to a couple, but it's really hard to do that because it you to see the evolution of German expression expressionism of a genre. You've kind of got to start with *Caligari* and then go on to *Metropolis*, because there's still um, similar themes across all three. There's like a thread that links all of them together. But the thing that sort of changed around it was the technology and the scope of cinema because Metropolis is really quite advanced and it inspired Blade Runner obviously Mm. so it's like you know you can see how it's um, been sort of taken up by modern directors but um, but in terms of vampire movies I was going to say Let the Right One In because I just love Let the Right One In not the remake the original I love I just love it (laughs) I think it's one of the best vampire movies I've seen
2: Sam what about you?
0: Um I had a few, and I'm going to ignore them all. Um, I want to talk about a book, because it was just, when, when you're talking about Dracula, there, and we haven't talked very much about the fact that this is based on Bram Stoker, um, but something else that uses Stoker's character, and I think it's brilliant, one of the best books, uh, well, certainly the first volume is one of the best books I've ever read, is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, which has Minahaka amongst other luminaries of 19th century literature in different scenarios. And I think it, it speaks to a lot of the stuff we're talking about, it, seeing things in retrospect and history, and it's also just brilliant. So, yeah, my one recommendation for this week is The Leave Extraordinary Gentleman.
2: Excellent, excellent. I've, I've got two, as is my want. Um I'm going to follow the director, F.W. Murnau, um, who directed this, uh, the, the Dos Rati. Um, and I want to talk about his very last film that he ever made. which was a film called Tabu, T-A-B-U, um, A Story of the South Seas. And it's, just, it's a stale film, set on Bora, Bora in South Seas, about a young couple who are in love and combating an old warrior, he's called the old warrior, um, an elder of the tribe who wants to kind of stop them Sort of falling in love. Um A, it's a great film. It's a really good film. If if, if I, I have a sort of a love for that kind of South Seas adventure kind of movie, and this is a very very good one. But also you can see the echoes of the work here, particularly in the character of the old warrior. He is a physically imposing, about being physically big character. He has that same kind of sort of look, not as as heightened certainly as Nosferatu but he has that kind of slightly haunted, slightly older person look, um, and you can see that echoing through his work. Um, it is in no way as famous as Send Like Nosferatu, um, but if you do like Nosferatu, um, the director does some awesome some great work, and this was his last film in 1931. Re- <coughs> My second recommendation um, comes from a couple of years later, um, and that's the 1935 classic movie, The Bride of Frankenstein. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a big um, horror movie buff, I love this movie um, A, I think you've got to look at the idea that Nosferatu certainly popularised the idea of a, of a monster movie um, it, it was a big part of that kind of genre at the time and this is an excellent addition to it, but also the visuals the the, 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 the harsh mm. lighting, the deep shadows, the angular posing and angular framing that you get from mm. Expressionism had made that leap to the US um, and in the work um, of James Whale in *Bride of Frankenstein*, you can see that kind of work—the like, really harsh lighting, the shadows, the the the, the, the looks of it—you can draw a very th- a very thick line essentially from, from the impressionism movement over into this kind of these genres in America. So those are my two *Taboo* and *Bride of Frankenstein*. Oh.
0: Well. <laughs> Thank you very much to Jennifer for lending us your words
2: of wisdom about the film this week.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed myself.
2: <laughs> which, which will get you back for uh, more things in the future. Yes.
1: Oh, I would love to. I would be so honoured. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
2: Uh, Rob, what are we talking about next week? So, next week, guys, we are moving from the 20s into the 30s and we're going to be picking up with the I suppose in many ways the inspiration and inspired by this week's movie, we're going to be looking at the 1931 movie Dracula um, starring Bela Lugosi, one of the uh, sort of the real pillars of the genre. Uh, so yes, we should be back in two weeks' time with that. Till then, you can find both of us online at Pretty Podcast. You can
0: find just me at Life Underscore Academic.
2: And you can find me at Rob Kaiju. Well, thank you again, Jennifer, for being our guest as our ringer and certainly raising the game this week. And we shall see all of you guys back here in two weeks.